You're listening to the Diary Discoveries podcast brought to you by Sally'sDiaries.com. Now here's your hosts, Sally Ivey and Jeff Richards. Welcome back to Diary Discoveries. And this is our 10th episode. And when you say that, I can't believe we've done 10 episodes already. I just never thought I'd we'd get to this point as far as in the podcast, but this has been so enjoyable for me, for sure. Well, yeah, and I just found out yesterday that a lot of people don't make it to 10 episodes when they do podcasts, so... Milestone. Yep, defying the odds. <laughs> yeah, defying the again, odds. again, as we're doing this as a labor of love and of, uh, of interest... We're just going to keep going, and as long as people want to hear a story or two, then we'll just keep doing them. And we're learning so much as we're doing this about the people in these diaries, and uh, specifically this next one. We did a lot of study and research when it comes to uh, tuberculosis, and it had a tie-in, right, with our last episode. It did. Mr. Henry Stewart was suffering from tuberculosis, and then Sally said, well, hey— I think I have a diary of a woman who was in a sanitarium for tuberculosis. Yeah, exactly. Um, specifically, she kept this diary. She had purchased it three days before she went into the sanitarium and wrote a diary all about her time there. And I thought, what a better time to share this diary than now, you know, bringing Henry and what he went through. And then now our author. Well, we found something in the diary that was additional to her writings. There were other pieces of ephemera in it. There were drawings that her children did, but there was uh, her admittance papers to the sanitarium, but there was also this incredible poem. Well, as we said, this poem was included in the diary. It was typewritten with a few words written in. There are mistakes even with the typewriter, so I'm believing it was an original work. No author signed to it. So maybe it was the author of our diary, but it's called the TB Blues. A skinny man was Mr. Jones. He wasn't much but skin and bones. He coughed and raised the whole day through and went to a sand like me and you. He didn't eat and he didn't sleep. And through his flesh, the chill did creep. Knowing more about uh, tuberculosis and then hearing that poem, it just really uh, shows you how deadly this disease was. And I really never knew much about this disease until I started studying Henry's diary and this diary that we're doing now. Most of the diaries that I read, they talk about having consumption, and that was actually TB. And during the time this was written in the 1920s, I believe tuberculosis, wasn't it the main cause of death? And then second to that was pneumonia. I think that's what we read. Mm -hmm. That's what we read. And they say at the time, you know, we don't have modern medicine, of course, but at the time, one of the biggest things that they wanted to do was keep people separate, of course, and then rest in clean air. That's about as much as I know, other than what all the research you've done, Jeff. Well, it's very contagious. And I didn't know how much tuberculosis is still a factor in the modern world. It's very serious. And of course, back then, they didn't know as much as we do now. One of the things I learned was that in every year, 10 million people develop active TB, and 1.6 million die from it. Yeah, I had no idea about that at all. Right. We often think of it as a disease in the past, but it's still with us, very much so. A couple of more TB facts here. 
in the modern world, we have strains of TB that are drug resistant. And that has made things very difficult and increased the death rate of tuberculosis. We haven't wiped it out. And TB can infect mostly the lungs, which they call pulmonary TB, but it can also affect almost any organ in the body. And that's something I didn't know. Uh, They call that extrapulmonary TB. And tuberculosis is one of the three main killer infectious diseases in modern times, along with HIV and AIDS uh, and malaria. It's crazy. So it's right up there. It's yeah. still getting a lot of people every year. Something you, I didn't know, for sure. You know, I, in a way, I thought it was a disease of the past. Yeah. But it's not. I mean, I know we, with modern medicine and everything, thankfully, you know, uh, so much has been done to combat TB, but... All yeah. I've heard about is what happened in the past. And so that's where my mind was always going. Right. Well, and also, you know, a lot of people don't know that you can become infected with TB, but not develop active TB. So it can stay in you. And nine out of 10 people that get infected actually stay in that category where they have been infected. Their body's immune system is taking control and taking care of it. And so they stay in that dormant state, but then either a severe illness or another infection, another exposure can activate that TB that you already have in you. So that's why they do TB tests and right. you can determine whether somebody's been exposed and they're a carrier, but not contagious. I remember too, when uh, my grandfather was a doctor of sorts, and he would talk a lot about TB in the 19. 19- 60s and 70s even. It's just a disease that I had no idea about until we started researching. Well, so now let's talk some about the diary itself. Yes. um, This diary, as I said in the beginning, it's just, I've got it right here in front of me. It just says compositions on the front of it. In fact, again, at sallysdiaries.com, there'll be a page that's called the Podcast Extras page, and I will put photos of this diary on that page because you really need to see these photos. If you were to just be in any bookstore and you would pick up this little journal and it just said compositions on it, you'd think it's a schoolgirl's journal, sorry. And as I opened it up, and I do this every time with diaries, you just don't realize what's inside until you start reading. And it just became fascinating. As you open it up, covers falling off. It says, Mrs. J.R. Murdoch, June 21st, 1927, Ross, Texas. And then you'll turn to the next page, and there's this little cutout newspaper clipping, and it's a poem. And it says, The Cheerful Cherub, although I keep a diary, I don't record my smallest fault. So when I read about my past, I take it with a grain of salt. And I thought that was so cool. She begins her entries only three days after she bought this diary. So I'm almost sure it was purchased specifically because she was going into the sanitarium in 1927. And then as you open through the scroll through the pages, there are not only her entries, but my favorite, favorite part is when her children pick it up and drawn it, her two little kids. And it's the typical drawing that you see. My grandkids did it when they were young. And I think Magnus, you know, your your grandbaby, there's the head and then two 
legs or sticks. I mean, they're just the most precious drawings, which even adds to the charm of this diary. It really does. So I'll post some of those pictures also there. And the poem. That, and then the poem. Which we're going to read more of later. You'll get, you only heard the first verse of the TB Blues. So yes. there's more of that to come. So you know, just by her putting that poem in this diary, it really meant something. And it was slipped in the back with her entrance papers to the sanitarium. So with all of that, this is a very important, important diary. As we were reading through the diary, we didn't find any evidence that she was forced to go to the sanitarium by court order or through a doctor or anything like that. It was like voluntary treatment. And I do know that people were made to go to places like this at times because the idea was to help the person get well, but also not allow them to spread tuberculosis to other people. Yeah, keep them separate from the regular community. Yeah. Yeah. And so you found that she was pretty upbeat. She was in her entries. I was for as young as she was. You know, I was very surprised at and she wrote every day about what was happening inside and what was going on with her lungs. And we're going to actually read some of those entries after we tell you a little bit more about Georgia. Yeah. And we're also going to talk about the sanitarium itself, because it was very unique. And it was also I believe, probably first class. I mean, they did the best they could to help these folks. Well, a little bit about Georgia, and then we'll get into the sanitarium. She was born in 1905 in Waco, Texas. She was only 25 when she entered the TB sanitarium. She married Gus Murdoch. Her full name was Georgia Lorraine Powell, and then Murdoch. I'm not sure. I couldn't find the date of their marriage, but um, in the early 1920s, I'm I think is when that happened. Uh, Her first child was born in 1923, and that was Florence. And then Jack was born in 1924. So they were actually only three and four years old when she entered the sanitarium. And I'm, in a way, that's the age that the drawings look. So I can just imagine she's writing in her diary in the bed in the sanitarium. And I don't know if they were allowed visitors or not. I know Gus came to see her, which we'll read. But I don't know when the drawings took place, but they're they're awful precious. I did learn this about early tuberculosis and how they treated it in the 1920s. And they said the focus of treatment in the 1920s involved a combination of rest in a sanitarium, and that was if it was affordable, and then surgery to remove the affected tissue or to rest the lung, and then a range of often toxic medicines, they say. And that brings us to where Georgia was placed, and it was a place called Sanatorium, Texas. So we found some great information about the sanitarium that Georgia resided at and wrote her diary, and it was called Sanatorium, Texas. We found this on a Texas History website. So I'm going to read some things from this and uh, give you an idea of what this was like. The sanatorium is in Tom Green County, 16 miles northwest of San Angelo on U.S. Highway 87, and that is all west of Austin and Fort Worth areas. The postmark Sanatorium Texas began with the opening of a post office on the campus in 1919 and disappeared 
on October 7, 1965, when the post office closed. During the first decade of the 20th century, more than 4,000 deaths a year in Texas were attributed to pulmonary tuberculosis. 330 acres were purchased near Carlsbad for the location of the anti-tuberculosis colony number one, the first institution of its kind in Texas. The colony provided the isolation to calm the fears of the public, as well as rest and clean air, the only known cure for TB sufferers. Admission was restricted to patients between the ages of 6 and 60 for a period not to exceed six months. The 57-bed facility opened with a barbecue and a celebration on July 4, 1912. On January 1, 1914, Joseph B. McKnight became the resident superintendent of the facility. Under McKnight's leadership, the sanatorium expanded for the next 35 years. Attracting employees was difficult because of the fear of TB, low wages, and geographic isolation. Therefore, the sanatorium school for nurses in Texas was organized in 1915 to train the needed staff. The two-year training focused on TB treatment, and nearly all the students were recovering TB patients. That's really interesting. That is so interesting. I mean, you're saying so many things that I find so interesting. But the fact is, how many people really said, oh, I'll volunteer and go work at this colony? Yeah. You know? And then they were people who had already contracted TB, but um, became better from it, or they went got through it. Just amazing information. Well, and then who better to treat other TB patients than somebody who's been through it? And, and knows, knows they're suffering. Knows what's going on. Yeah. Yes. So that worked out pretty well. By the 1930s, the facility had treated more than 13,000 patients. And from the original four buildings, the facility had grown to 35 buildings. And there were 13 buildings with 662 patient beds, including 162 beds in the children's preventorium. The grounds had been expanded to nearly 1,000 acres and included a post office, library, barber shop, dairy, hog farm, a butcher shop, a bakery, power plant, laundry, printing press with its own newspaper, which was called The Chaser, four water wells, and a school for the children. There were also church services and organized meetings for the Masons, Order of the Eastern Star, Bridge Club, Sewing Club, and a Stamp Collectors Club. The complex had grown into a virtually independent community known as Sanatorium. By 1949, Sanatorium had grown to 970 beds with 300 patients on the waiting list. Superintendent McKnight continued to propose expansions, including a new 75-bed dormitory, more employee living quarters, and a 25-bed surgery unit to supplement the existing surgical building constructed in 1947-48. The 1950s brought dramatic change to the institution. McKnight, who had become synonymous with the battle against TB, retired in 1950. On June 2, 1951, the Texas legislature renamed the institution the McKnight State Sanatorium. The ancillary operations, such as the dairy, hog farm, and the preventorium, were systematically closed during the decade. The new superintendent, Dr. Allison, successfully removed the age limit restrictions 
and the ban on readmissions. But the biggest change was a result of the changing TB treatment. The old treatments, including bed rest and phrenic nerve paralysis, were increasingly replaced by the thoracic surgery program and such drugs as streptomycin and capromycin. As a result, the institution was renamed the McKnight State Tuberculosis Hospital in 1955. The length of stay was reduced from 372 days in 1960 to 311 days in 61, 254 days in 62, and 204 days in 63. So as they were getting better with treatments, people weren't having to stay as long. Exactly, yes. And obviously, as drugs increased and treatments speeded up, there wasn't such a need for a facility, and eventually, over time, it was closed down. And here's the most fascinating part to me. Well, that's also fascinating, but quite a while back, you had asylums and sanitariums, and people were placed in them for various reasons. This place in Texas was a sanitarium at first for TB patients. It became so large that it ended up having its own name, Sanatorium Texas and Post Office. And then when you read all the things that they had, this was literally a little community, a small city in a yeah, way. Yeah, a little town. It just, that's fascinating to me. It really is. So it seemed like a great place to go for people who were suffering because it seemed to have everything they needed there during their, what, they said six-month stay. Yes. Now, Georgia stayed four and a half months. But if you ever get on the web, look this place up because there'll also be pictures that we've uh, put on my website showing the sanatorium, Texas, during the time Georgia was there. And they talked about, you know, the dormitories and how many dormitories there were. Well, in her diary, she writes that she was in dormitory number seven. So it really brings things to life. Well, I think this is the perfect time now to read out of Georgia's diary. And I want to say that this precious young woman went to seventh grade. I think that was the last grade she finished in. So I want to read this diary exactly the way she writes, because it just it's just so much more real that way. It's the year is 1927. Here we go. June 25th. Well, they looked through my lungs this morning, but they haven't told me anything yet. I am going to ask them this eve. Well, I like it here just fine. I like all the girls, but there is a few that is going home Saturday. July 6th. Well, today is Wednesday the 6th, and I haven't heard from home since last Friday the 1st. My, but that makes me feel so bad at mail time, as everybody gets a letter but me, and I haven't given up my hopes. Maybe I'll hear this eve. If I don't, I sure will be blue. Well, if it wasn't for a little old woman here by the name of Mrs. Love, I don't know what I'd do. She is so friendly, only talks so much. At this point, Georgia also writes that she sleeps with her babies under her pillow, and so I'm assuming that's their pictures. Last day in this month, and also my sixth Sunday here. Well, I have been having 99 temperature all week, so that makes me feel bad, but I am homesick and heartbroke too. I dream every night of Gus. I think I am with him. August 1st, dormitory number seven. Well, I am feeling so good tonight. I mean, I am feeling so excited. 
Well, for the first thing that happened, I lost half a pound. The next we got to go and inspect the 9,500 men's hospital. The next I got a letter from home and my beads. The next we had a party and sure did enjoy it. It was a farewell party for our nurse, Mrs. Fuller. Oh, yes, I saw the ambulance come at four to get the corpse of a woman. At this point, there's a couple more entries that she writes that she had fainted uh, while attending a lecture in the auditorium, and the doctors had said, you know, it might be female troubles. But then she talks about missing Gus so much, her husband, but says she doesn't know if he misses her. Then on September 13th and 14th, dormitory number seven, well, my first day to take store orders, I made it just fine. Well, if I could only hear from home of what could be the matter. Oh, that anything hasn't happened. Why don't they write to me? Well, if I don't hear this eve, I believe that I'll go crazy. Well, it has been nearly two weeks since I have heard. Well, I never can get well with such a burden on me at this time. Dormitory number seven. She has not written a date on this day. Well, if I can only hear from my hubby and children today. Well, nobody knows what I am going through just now. My heart is all but broke. If it wasn't for my Lord, I couldn't bear it much longer. But he helps me to bury my burdens. You know the song, I cannot bear my burden alone. In distress, I am sure he will help me. And you too. Only trust in him. September 23rd. Well, I am happy as I can be. Gus come yesterday, and I got such a good examination. I didn't have any active trouble when I come, and I haven't got any now. But I've got some scar tissue, and the doctor said that if I went home and broke it down, that I could have a hemorrhage and would have a hard time getting well. So I'm going to stay about two more months anyway. At this point, Gus was also examined, and he had TB. And then the last entry, one of the last entries, it says that she's at the Carlsbad Hotel. And it's November 3rd, still 1927, of course. Just left the sanitarium and going on home in the morning. Well, I hope I haven't done anything wrong by coming. Well, the Lord promised to make the crooked path straight. As that is what he promised me. I will go before you and make the crooked path straight. Finally, uh, there's an entry that she writes, and this is 1933. And this is six years later. Well, this is six years since I wrote all this book, and I am just as well as when I wrote this, even if I am not as young and good looking. The bugs will never get me if I ever had any. I didn't know anything about them. Georgia. I love in her last entry where she says, even though I'm not as young and good looking. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cute. Well, you'd be happy to know that Gus passed away in 1987 and Georgia passed away in 1993. So they lived a long life after their TB stays. So that was good to know. That is. And, you know, also in hearing those entries to hear her say that she was blue at times. And then it was probably her that wrote this poem, The TB Blues. You know, it'd be hard to be away from your family, and even if you were being well taken care of, it would be easy to get down. So, we're going to finish with the TB Blues. The whole thing. A skinny man was Mr. Jones. He wasn't much but skin and bones. He coughed and raised the whole day through and went to a sand like me and you. 
He didn't eat and he didn't sleep, and through his flesh the chill did creep. He stayed in bed the whole day long. He stayed in bed the whole day long. And once in a while he sang this song. The TB bug is an awful pest. He will get in your lungs and make a nest. He tickles your throat and then your cough, and you don't know when they will carry you off. They come by dozens, then by scores, and hundreds and thousands and more and more. Before you know it, you are awful blue. Look like hell, and you feel it too. You go to a sand and rest all day to patch up your lungs and receive AA. If you don't do just what you ought to do, you will have a good time, and the bugs will too. We've enjoyed this. Hope you have too. And learned a little bit more about tuberculosis between our last episode with Henry and then this episode with Georgia. So uh, stay tuned for more. And it had a happy ending. And it had a happy ending. Yeah, next time I think we're going to get into the Meisners. The Meisners. Yeah, that'll be an interesting story. Very interesting. We hope you come back for another one. Thanks for listening. The music used in this episode is Porch Blues by Kevin McLeod. You can find it on the web at filmmusic.io slash song slash 4232-porch-blues. The license is at filmmusic.io slash standard-license. And this music information is also posted in our episode description. Thank you, Kevin McLeod. For more information about Sally and her diaries, go to sallysdiaries.com.